Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Are you ready for spring? Well, now is the perfect time to add a proven winner's hydrangea to your landscape. Beautiful and easy to grow. There's one for every style and situation. Look for proven winner's hydrangeas in the white containers at your local garden center. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek, the best place to buy Chicago White Sox tickets. Download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone today and save $20 off your first purchase by using promo code SOXMACHINE. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of July 30th, 2018. Just two days remaining before the Major League Baseball trade deadline is over. There's been some shuffling of players this past weekend, like Mike Moustakis traded to the Milwaukee Brewers and the Atlanta Braves acquiring Brad Brock. But we know teams make a rush at the deadline. Can the White Sox be one of those teams to move players before the deadline ends on Tuesday? After trading Joaquin Soria, the ninth inning is going to be an adventure as we went, as we witnessed on this past Sunday as Jace Fry couldn't hold the lead. What will the White Sox do moving forward to close out games for the remainder of the 2018 season? Lurie Garcia had a big moment Saturday night with his bases clearing triple to help the White Sox win. Is his defense in center keeping him away from playing every day at the center field position? Jim Tomey is in the Hall of Fame. We share our favorite moments of Tomey being with the White Sox, the latest on the minor leagues, and we'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox. But first, we'll be discussing what transpired on Friday. As if you listen to Sox Machine Live, Jim and I talked about the pending White Sox moves. And out of his meeting with the media, General Manager Rick Hahn set himself up for criticism concerning the status of Aloy Jimenez. Joining me is the co-host of the podcast and managing editor of SoxMachine.com, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. I hope you have all of your boxes checked off before recording this show. I'm afraid I don't. It's, uh, uh, it seems like I might, but turns out that you can't, even if you think you do have all your boxes checked, there might be some that remain vacant. 
that the public can't know about. You can yes. certainly know about it, Jim, but the public cannot. Yes. Here's the quote from Rick Hahn. Quote, while you could look at a stat line or look at a box score and say, this guy looks like he's doing well, looks like he's ready. Our checklist that we want these guys to answer is a little more lengthy than that. And not until they've answered all those questions we have for them at the minor league level, will we promote them? All Aloy Jimenez did this weekend was go seven for 12 at the plate with a home run, two doubles, four RBIs. He walked, didn't strike out, and he made a terrific diving catch in left field. In his last 10 games, Jimenez is 19 for 38 with four home runs, five doubles, 10 runs batted in, one walk to four strikeouts. In AAA, he's hitting 383 with a 422 on base percentage and slugging 691. Before I go on a rant about this, Jim, let's try to break this down logically. What do you imagine are items left on the checklist that Jimenez needs to complete before being called up? Well, I guess when it comes to on-field stuff, his defense might be the one, but I don't think that would keep him from you know, being promoted. We've seen Nicky Delmonico use as a, you know, kind of a project in left field at the major league level. Um, you know, that the White Sox aren't a team accustomed to stellar outfield play. So it doesn't seem like Jimenez would be a step back. I think, you know, I guess my most generous interpretation of those comments would seem to either be, um, and he just hit a hundred plate appearances at Charlotte. So that's one of them. Maybe they just want to hit a milestone, in Charlotte, so they can say, well, he had 100 rather than 97 plate appearances or whatever. Um, you know, so now we can say like, well, you know, I guess it protects him from rushing him a little bit or ac- accusations of rushing. Um, that's one of them. The other could be availability, just wanting to maybe see if he can play two, three, four weeks in a row at Charlotte without injury because he's been banged up a little bit. And I could see them maybe not wanting to call him up. Um, and then, then he has to go on the DL in the first week because of some kind of strain or recurrence of an issue. And, and, you know, maybe that's the reason why they're being reluctant. Maybe that's why they can't say that they don't want to call him up because they don't want to stoke fears about his health or anything like that. But otherwise I think it's just maybe being a bit afraid. Um, <laughs> kind of like, um, you know, I mentioned on Twitter, Larry wrote about it, South side, South side socks. When, when Jimenez comes up, when Kopech comes up, um, you know, that's the start of these guys matriculating. I mean, Giolito and Lopez were the first wave, but I think Jimenez is the centerpiece of the whole thing in Mancada. If Jimenez struggles initially, if Kopech struggles initially, um, you know, that's when the doubts seep in about this whole enterprise. And as long as Jimenez remains in his original packaging, you know, you can kind of dream on that a little bit. Uh, and, you know, maybe they're just a, a touch apprehensive about starting that process in earnest and having, um, you know, their rebuild exposed for everybody hmm i didn't think along those lines but that is a really good point i think the reason i didn't want to think of those lines is that i i can't imagine for you to be a successful general manager in any professional sport league that you can't have that fear yeah so uh, is there anything else with the statement that because typically with rick Hahn, we can't take anything that he says at face value that Oftentimes, we have to read between the lines to really find what the reason is that Aloy Jimenez is not with the White Sox. Is there anything like that in this situation? 
No, I mean, like with Kopech, I think, you know, he had the the major control struggles, um, you know, last month into July. And I think that was, uh, you know, at least partially attributable to a death in the family. Uh, but he seems to bounce back from that. But, uh, yeah, I think in this case, you can say Kopech, you know, you want to see, you know, now he's up to three strong starts in a row. So I think, you know, he's kind of running out of, um, or, or he's kind of running out of excuses there in terms of, you know, that control blip. Um, but, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, he had some issues with um, uh, getting fired up about bad calls and such. You know, I, I think Kopech is always going to be a little bit of an unfinished product and that um, he's going to have to struggle meaningfully at, at uh you know, in Chicago, you know, if he's going to have that third pitch issue, you know, like Carlos Rodon didn't have much of a change of his first couple of years. He was fine because his stuff was so good. And I can see Kopech, you know, doing the same thing, pitching through it um, and, and kind of shaping up a third pitch along the way. So, you know, I'm skeptical of the control issues and changeup issues being a real factor for much longer with Jimenez. No, I, I think it's mainly just, you know, perhaps wanting to see, you know, I guess, wanting to make sure that they're not rushing him and also just wanting to make sure that he's completely healthy. So, you know, any kind of call up does not get interrupted by an injury, but other than that, and I wouldn't necessarily say the fear thing is it's more of a fan issue than a front office issue. You know, when you have fans saying like that Jimenez should stay down until next year and, you know, have the, uh, get the extra year of service time after that and pointing to Chris Bryant. Um, you know, it's not a, it's not a good comparison. And also with Chris Bryant, if they called him up opening day, you know, they'd be nowhere for the wear. Just Tom Ricketts would be <laughs> a little less money. So uh, I'm not so, uh, yeah, I guess I'm sympathetic to that argument either. But I think it's more of a fan issue just being like, as long as they can dream about it, as long as, you know, uh, you know, Jimenez is this, you know, monster in AAA, uh, he's not human. You know, he's not tangible. And it's kind of like, you know, those, those Han... Uh, 2020 t-shirts the 2020 vision t-shirts you know all the kind of you know hype um is still you know all well and good whereas if he gets called up he has a mancata like thing where he has good weeks and bad weeks and um you know the the defense is a little ragged and he looks you know kind of mortal then uh you look at him and you look at you know dunning being hurt and hansen having issues and having all these things and just wonder if you should lump him in with that and all of a sudden you know it doesn't look as bulletproof no those are really good points jim with Delmonico and Polka hitting in the past four games, does that play a factor on why Jimenez is not called up? I don't think so, because I, I think DH is still pretty open. Uh, and then there's plenty of playing time there. And also there's, I think, um, and, and with right field and, and, and center and such and first base, I, I think there's a lot of ways to rotate guys through. I mean, Delmonico can play first if you want to give a break. Um, you know, I think there's enough playing time with the corner spots to where everybody can get reps. And I think, yeah, maybe Delmonico and Polka are a little bit redundant as lefty hitters. Um, and, you know, Polka provides the power. Delmonico has a more polished plate appearance, uh, you know, plate appearances. So, um, you know, maybe it'll be a little bit complicated, but, you know, neither are worth, um, you know, holding down Jimenez artificially. I think Jimenez's uh, progress, you know, try, you know, trumps everything. And it, when it comes mm-hmm. down to these, you know, complimentary players, these, you know, mildly intriguing guys who might have a major league future like Polka and Delmonico and, and Davidson to a lesser extent. Um, you know, you don't want to waste those guys, but I think between, um, you know, between injuries, between, you know, when September rolls around, when giving guys days off, I think there will be ways to rotate everybody around so that these guys are put into situations where they can make the most of it. Let's talk about the ultimate fear. The ultimate fear that... We're going to continue having this conversation 
not only for this season, Jim, but going into next year. Let's say for those on Twitter, out in social media, and comment sections of the blogs that say that the White Sox should not call up Jimenez until mid-April of 2019 to add an additional year of control for the White Sox, pushing the service clock back. Do you see that in the realm of possibility at this moment with Aloy Jimenez and the White Sox? I don't think on purpose, you know, perhaps if he gets injured again, you know, pulls a hammy or something like that and doesn't, you know, misses whatever the last couple weeks of August, you know, maybe they don't want to use Chicago as a rehab stint and, you know, they just kind of shut him down for the year and, you know, maybe then that becomes a realistic issue. But then you have the, you have the issue in, uh, in spring training again, where you have to make up reasons why he isn't one of the top three outfielders and, you know, just, it's not great. So I, I would like to see the White Sox avoid that. And I'm not going to be cheering for the extra year of service time when he looks ready. And when there is, you know, when you have to have these guys take their lumps in order to get the, uh, the rookie stuff, the, the raw stuff out of the way first. So by the time, you know, this 2020 vision rolls around, uh, all these guys will have, uh, sanded down the rough edges as best they can and are pretty much complete or finished players. Yeah, they'll have a little bit more confidence, right? That's the hope, that they have confidence, that they know they belong to the major leagues and they can succeed in the major leagues. And hopefully, again, the dream is that that combines into a terrific season for the 2020 Chicago White Sox where they make the postseason and they can contend for a World Series championship. It's just moments like this. This isn't the first time, and I'm sure it will not be the last time with this organization but for a GM that has a win-loss record of 394 wins to 521 losses, that's a winning percentage of 431 now, it's getting a bit exhausting. And Steve Greenberg at the Chicago Sun-Times wrote a column on Sunday where he wrote, quote, Look, I'm not saying the White Sox have to listen to me. I'm merely saying they can't listen to their general manager, Rick Khan. Not on this one. Someone has to stage an intervention or at least tie up Han and stash him in a broom closet and fast. No offense, of course, end quote. That was written by Steve Greenberg. Jim, I don't suggest locking Han in a broom closet when he has two days to make moves. But there have been White (laughs) Sox fans on Twitter that have been calling out blogs and I quote, whining and complaining about him and his not being called up. Clearly, these guys don't know anything about baseball, but it's just not us. It's everyone in Chicago media that doesn't understand the decision-making for Rick Hahn. Some of them are not going to call it Rick Hahn because they need quotes from Rick Hahn to meet deadlines. And I get that. But we've been saying since the, since the 2016 offseason that this front office does not deserve the benefit of the doubt. And right now, Jim, I think Rick Hahn deserves all of the criticism that comes his way for what he said on Friday and the decision from the team to continue to keep Jimenez down in AAA. Because I understand where you are coming from on what could possibly be one of the fears for the White Sox. He gets called up and he gets hurt, and all of a sudden now he's on the 10-day DL in Chicago. But the same thing could be happening in Charlotte. And then you don't get an opportunity to see what he can do in the major leagues. I just feel at this moment that he has fully learned on what he needs to do to be incredibly successful in the international league and against quadruple a pitching and that he's ready. Yeah. Uh, and, and one thing that comes to mind too, when it comes to, 
you know, Jimenez's timetable and Moncada and, you know, Anderson and whoever else that you consider core players at this rebuild is, you know, if you call, if you wait to call them up and they struggle, uh, you know, say they wait in the 2019, you know, the worst case scenario, they get the extra year of service time. Um, and, and they're still, you know, struggling, you know, or at least, you know, Jimenez comes up, struggles, Moncada doesn't quite figure it out. Um, I would rather know sooner than later if there's an issue with the instruction they're getting, you know, cause I, I don't think Todd Steverson is a ironclad um, grip on his job when it comes to his resume and track record and so forth. So, you know, if there needs to be a change of instruction, change of message, um, you know, at the top with the hitting coach, you know, it's good to figure that out sooner rather than later. So, um, you know, that's another reason why I would argue for it, you know, beforehand, just because, yeah, I mean, their, their track record is not good. And, um, when you see guys like, uh, you know, Juan Soto being called up and rushed through and not rushed technically, but just taking the express lane to the majors, you know, Acuna doing that, um, and, and succeeding. And you see Jimenez just building up a, an incredible body of work this season at the upper levels. I don't see how they could be accused of rushing. I think there's enough, uh, consensus opinion that even if he does have the, you know, Gordon Beckham experience where he you know, has some short-term success, uh, goes back down. I don't think anybody would accuse him of rushing um, just because there's really, it seems like there's nothing he can possibly learn from AAA pitching. There was a poll from our friends, the Section 108 guys, this past week uh, before all of this happened on Friday. And what they tweeted out was really interesting. And their tweet is, just seeing how the Oakland Athletics and the Tampa Rays seem to be able to make pretty decent teams almost out of thin air. And yes, that is true for both the A's. The A's are in playoff contention. I think they're going to make the postseason. And Tampa Bay, even though they're selling out pieces, they're still hovering around 500. Their poll was, where do you rate the White Sox as far as organizational intelligence compared to Major League Baseball? With obviously number one being the highest and 30th being the lowest. And their four choices were, are the White Sox top five? Are the White Sox top 10? Are the White Sox fall between 11th to 20th? Or are they in the bottom 10, 21st to 30th? Where would you rank the White Sox at the moment, Jim? I put them in the bottom third. Bottom third. Okay. <laughs> You're like <Yep>. me. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, Beanles, uh, again, there's a lot of interaction. And I thought constructive interaction from this tweet. And for those that were not picking the White Sox in the bottom 10, you know, our fr- our fellow editor and friend, Patrick Nolan, Beanles, uh, started questioning people like, all right, list 10 teams that are worse than the White Sox. And some people have, and I saw people's like 10 teams list, and it's like nine of those 10 teams have made it to the postseason in the last five years. Two of them won World Series, and the one was Miami. And that's the only one that I'm confident in saying that Miami is worse ran than the White Sox. Yeah, I, I see Miami, Cincinnati would be another one. Um, yeah, Cincinnati. Uh, the Rockies squander yeah, some some yeah really uh inherent advantages they have they make some they've had a hard hard time finishing off their product I'm not sure what the padres are doing you know they're all over the place i think ownership is part of the the issue there um with their right. with their uh and i would consider ownership part of the front office structure so yeah i'd put them down there um and the royals i think they they got hot you know they or they the rebuild 
took a while. Like their process basically waited until the last possible minute to get together. It came together gloriously at the very end, but now they're starting over and, and kind of running into the same wrong decision. So I'd put them down there. But uh, after that, it's a little bit harder to identify. And I mean, your Rickon is good at saying, um, you know, he's good at saying smart sounding things, or at least, you know, he, he is very disciplined with his messaging and such. And I think I saw that with fan graphs too in the, in the, offseason they asked about um you know front office confidence polls and it seems like every team is relatively confident in their front office and i think they're all you know with their backgrounds and such and their decision making their understanding of like behavioral sciences and such i think they're good at you know um addressing um you know things like you know you know various concerns and you know biases people have and just very good at laying out you know, what they hope to be the case with their moves and, and so forth. But when it comes to results and, uh, you know, the way they, they botched the rebuild the first time and, and the way that, to me, um, removes any kind of benefit of the doubt they have with getting this rebuild right, um, you know, it's hard to give them credit for things they haven't accomplished yet. Well, moving to the deadline, because there may be an opportunity that Rick Hahn gets a second chance in calling up Aloy Jimenez in the next couple of days. The trade deadline expires on Tuesday. And if Han can make some additional moves, it appears that two players in particular could be of interest in Luis Avalon and Xavier Cedeno. If you listen to the last Sox Switching Live, we explained why left-handed relievers, these are guys that get pushed at the very end towards the deadline date and time. Uh, both of them have been effective as far as against left-handers and they could help a contender out of the bullpen. But I guess the big question is, do you see the White Sox pulling off any other moves before the end of the deadline, Jim? I think I'm sticking with Cedeno moving um, just because he's quality lefty. He's under control for another year. And I think he's been a bit, or Renteria has been a bit more confident in deploying him against righties. But um, yeah, that's, uh, I think I'm sticking with that. I can see both being moved. I think Shields might be an August thing just because of his contract. I think he can pass through waivers. Uh, more easily than others. So I, I think uh, yeah, that might be the case where they wait you know, a week or two on him. If they do move Cedeno, is that when the White Sox will call up Jimenez? Or do you think reading the moves they have made that they'll just replace Cedeno with another bullpen arm? I'm guessing it'll be a bullpen arm just because they've seen like you know eight relievers is the norm now, which is unfortunate, but uh, given, <laughs> I guess, you know, given the lack of proven high leverage guys, I think they do have to cycle through a lot of, you know, interesting arms. Yeah, I don't think Vieira is the guy, maybe Ian Hamilton, uh, where you can get some swinging and missing in the uh, eighth and ninth innings. I think, you know, that might be the best possible move. And, you know, ideally, I'd like to see them bring up Hamilton, um, see what his stuff looks like now against major league hitters. And then if it's working well enough, then, you know, maybe reduce to seven from, the front end of the bullpen, you know, your, your long relief guys are low leverage guys, you know, maybe doing it that way. Yeah. I just think that this eight man bullpen, like, cause I think if Sedanio gets moved, my guess is that Aaron bummer will rejoin the major league roster and replace Sedanio that I think it just feeds into some bad managing tendencies from Rick Renteria. Yeah. It- that I don't know if it, if it's fair for a GM to handcuff 
the manager by saying, no, you only get seven relievers, Ricky, because I'm tired of seeing you just burn through bullpen arms. Yeah, uh, although, you know, it's with, with this kind of bullpen, I can't necessarily blame him for the way he's managing. Uh, I think when he's had, you know, watching him uh, last year with a very good bullpen, I thought he managed it well. So I think some of it's just a yeah. matter of um, not wanting to put young pitchers especially like say like somebody like jace fry who is just kind of uh trying to establish himself and juan manayo has had you know hot and cold streaks i think he's just um you know somebody who doesn't want to put young players unproven players in a position to fail you know where they have to answer the tough questions at the end of the game so i think he tries to put them in matchups and then like say if he changes too many guys and he's the one who has to answer the question so i guess that's my generous okay. interpretation of the way the bullpen's being run because i think when he had credible options it you know maybe in, in some ways it manages himself uh with the way you know the, you guys can handle one full inning but uh i think you know, at least that gave me the indication that you know when the bullpen is sorted out and when he has full inning guys again a full complement of them i think he'll get out of the way generous seems to be the word of this podcast jim <laughs> your yep. generous criticism yeah that's uh <laughs> it, it, it's it's fair to do that. I guess the way, uh, you know, my, my writing and podcasting approach is just not to look stupid two months from now. So I try to look yeah. at it to say like, what's the most, uh, you know, say if like in Jimenez's case, say he gets promoted before the next series, you know, now that he crossed this hundred plate appearance, uh, threshold, you know, and maybe missing three games is not that big of a deal. So, all this panic and, and, and Sturm and Drang is for nothing. But uh, so that's why I try to be, you know, to use my the, the word of the podcast, generous. Yeah, well, I say screw that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to panic. No, I just it's frustrating. It's just very frustrating. And especially when, you know, poor Tiago Vera and that inning or that appearance he didn't even get through the inning. Uh, that was rough. That was really rough to watch. And it's just, it's just disappointing. That's all it is. It's just a very disappointing weekend. And if Rick Hahn is frustrated with the media because the media doesn't understand why Jimenez is with the White Sox at the moment and the weekend that Jimenez has, I mean, yeah, I think Rick Hahn set himself up to look like an idiot. But he's got work to do. And these next two days, he's got to try to move players to open up spots. And who knows? On Tuesday, Alo Jimenez could be in Chicago suiting up, being in the lineup, and playing for the White Sox if they decide to go that route. But I agree with Jim that if they do move a bullpen arm, it'll be another bullpen arm replacing either Cedeno or Luis Avalon or whoever that the White Sox are able to trade out of the bullpen before the 31st. So let's talk about some good news as far as in the White Sox front. Jim Tomey, Jim, is now in the Hall of Fame. It was fun to watch as far as his presentation. Obviously, he took this honor very personally. Uh, his daughter sang the National Anthem, and she did a terrific job with that. And it's always great to hear what people think of Jim Tomey, the gentleman masher, uh, someone that is incredibly nice and generous with his time. And I thought his speech was terrific. And at first in his career, Jim Tomey was a nightmare, right? He was the guy that you did not want to see come up to the plate when he was with the Cleveland Indians. And when he joined the Chicago White Sox from that trade with the Philadelphia Phillies, sending Aaron Rowand uh, to Philly, 
What was some of your favorite Tommy moments with the White Sox during his Hall of Fame career? Well, I think if you, you know, the two obvious ones are the blackout game and the, the 500th homer. I think, you know, for me with the, with Tommy, uh, when he dropped off his 500th home run ball with his dad, I took the drive over to Cooperstown. I covered it for, for my day job um, and talked to him. And, you know, it's kind of my first uh, first encounter with Tommy on a personal level, except for the time that he said, excuse me, to use the porta potty during a B game in spring training. And it was basically like, you know, it, it, he was as advertised. <laughs> and it was, you know, partially a setting, you know, Cooperstown does bring out the emotions in people, especially with his dad. And his dad was uh, tearing up thinking about the possibility of Tommy being a Hall of Famer. And it was just, you know, a very nice moment. But, you know, I introduced myself to Tommy and I said, yeah, hi, Jim Marlowe's Times Union. And, and and he like shakes my hand and he's like, oh, so nice to meet you. And like, it's not nice to me. <laughs> I'm just, like, I'm not anybody. It's just, you know, and, uh, but yeah, just a very vigorous handshake. And, you know, like in my hand, like just like kind of disappeared in his. And he always, you know, he's, you know, getting really into it. And he's gesturing with his hands and his hands are so massive that when he's like describing the setting and, and talking about what he saw behind the scenes, of the hall of fame, like his hands were like blowing my hair, just with all the air displacing. So, uh, and he used the word magical like four or five times, which I thought was like perfect for Tommy. But yeah, just in, in my, uh, you know, in that 10 or 15 minutes, you know, talking to him and such, um, you get the, yeah, I got the idea or at least got the, uh, it kind of got caught up in just how, you know, the media had regarded him as a, just a very, genuine person over the years and you hear you know, the stories on the side about him signing Kit Kat bars for Halloween trick-or-treaters and you know all these stories <laughs> from players talking to him and you just get the idea that you know it as much as you you're you know one might be skeptical of somebody with that uh impeccable of a reputation um it doesn't seem like anybody can find any fault with him one of my favorite things to do when I take new people to guaranteed rate field or the cell or Comiskey Park or White Sox Park whatever you want to name it I always love taking him to the plaque in dead center field from the blackout game. And mm -hmm. they always turn around and they're like, I can't see home plate. And I always tell them exactly. And we have to get out to the bleachers. And they're like, he hit it that far. He hit it over the hedges yeah. off the brick. And it's just such a, a great moment because all of the frustration, even though 2005 was terrific, I felt like there was still lingering frustration being a White Sox fan with those early 2000 Minnesota Twins and that rivalry and having that matchup was just so perfect to have a game 163 between these two franchises during that decade. And it was Jim Tomey providing the only scoring of that game and it was just a monster home run. That is by far my favorite moment. But as you mentioned, it's one of two moments because the walk-off for his 500th home run was special as well. And I think it's just terrific that Jim Tomey is into the Hall of Fame. And it was a great class. I mean, Chipper Jones, Trevor Hoffman, uh, just a lot of Atlanta Braves fans were in Cooperstown this weekend uh, out there supporting Chipper Jones. But, you know, congratulations to Jim Tomey. It's a terrific moment. And uh, we'll see on who the next guy will be associated at all with the White Sox getting to the Hall of Fame. Hopefully, the committee finds a way to get Minnie Minoso uh, into the Hall uh, and yep. recognized for not only what he achieved being the first black Cuban in Major League Baseball, but he had a Hall of Fame career. And hopefully, they rectify that very soon. And of course, Hawk Harrelson as well 
if they could uh, give him the the Frick Award. But uh, what he talked about this weekend may have set him back a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll we'll address that at some other time. Before we recap the Toronto Blue Jays series, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Whether you're heading to a baseball game or concert this summer, SeatGeek has you covered. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. What SeatGeek does is that they search multiple ticket sites and they grade every ticket based on value. And SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And I always say that I use SeatGeek to buy White Sox tickets because again, using the deal score, I can get the most bane for my buck, and they always have great value as well. And this upcoming week series against the Kansas City Royals for Tuesday's game, tickets are as low as six dollars. For Wednesday's game, tickets are as low as eight dollars, and Thursday's game is seven dollars. And if you are looking to use SeatGeek to get great value and great deals on White Sox tickets for the remaining of the season, and if you've never used SeatGeek before, Use our promo code to save $20 off. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE to save $20 off on your first purchase with SeatGeek. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Recapping as far as what transpired over the weekend, great crowd. It looked more than half full for each of the three games. Saturday night was electric as far as watching the highlights, the White Sox, unfortunately, lost two out of three. They had an opportunity as Carlos Rodon pitched very well on Sunday. However, as we alluded to earlier with Jace Fry, he struggled to lock down the ninth inning. And I think that's the biggest question moving forward, Jim. Obviously, if Joaquin Soria is still with the White Sox, maybe he does close that out. The White Sox win two out of three. And the script is the White Sox are five and five after the All-Star break. Uh, but instead, there's going to be a lot of questions, and it's going to be an adventure in the ninth inning moving forward. Uh, this is something that the White Sox experienced last year when they moved David Robertson and Tommy mm-hmm. Canley. So how do you think Renteria will handle the ninth inning moving forward when the White Sox do have a lead? Well, I think it'll be Jace Fry initially. I, I don't think they'll want to be in a position where if one guy blows his first opportunity, then he doesn't get a chance again, and then you just kind of shuffle until everybody has no confidence. So I, I think it'll be Fry initially, especially when there are lefties up. I imagine yeah, that might be the case where if it's three righties, it'll be a righty. If it's you know, lefty heavy, or, or they might have to sub somebody out and you have a weaker matchup uh, with a right-handed pitch hitter, they'll go with uh, Fry's lefty. But um, hopefully, you know, this case where, you know, I mentioned him before, Ian Hamilton comes up, um, either that or, you know, say if they do make a change to the rotation and Kopech comes up and Dylan Covey shifts to the pen, uh, he might be somebody who, you know, given his experience already in the majors and, um, you know, his experience and success early in games, uh, first time through, first inning especially, it's, you know, that might not be a bad idea either. But I think they'll eventually have options to kind of get through it the way they got through it with Mania last year. You know, not, not uh terribly confidence inspiring or um 
doesn't seem like he's long for the job, but I think they will be able to get by eventually, you know, like they have in previous years. The big moment from Saturday night, other than Daniel Polka, his pinch hit single, uh, is Luis Garcia's bases clearing triple uh, to really put the exclamation point of the White Sox comeback on Saturday night. And it was just great to feel watching the game, the crowd really getting into that inning and the comeback for the White Sox. And I guess, obviously, Adam Engel is still getting starts because of his defense, even though hitting-wise, it's just I don't have any confidence it's ever going to develop, Jim. But with Lurie, he has these great moments offensively. And we know that with his past two seasons, this is a guy who can be maybe an effective everyday player because he can hit, he can get on base, and he can make things happen on the base pass, and he'll shock you with power uh, once in a great while. I guess the question is, is it the defense that's the issue on why he's not playing every day in center field and Adam Engel is still getting starts? I think it's partially the defense and partially the fact that they are running such a short bench because I think when you have Larry on the bench, you you don't have to worry about infield. You don't have to worry about outfield. You can pinch hit for him for extra bases you can pinch run with him you know i think he's just a he's an ideal bench player especially in the you know in the era of eight-man bullpens so i think you know when it comes to the way renteria would like to run a game uh, (laughs) based on the way we've seen playing time allotted i think ideally you'd like to have larry available for lots of different things rather than starting in center field and partially probably given the struggles the outfield has had I think he probably likes his best defender in center field too just to provide some relief when it's Polka or Delmonico in a corner and you know Avi I think is getting up to speed I think he's he's made more confident reads with his uh, defense so I think he's running better than he was before his second DL stint but with the way the corners have gone this season I think he probably likes as much ground and center covered as possible so given the situation Given the way he's allotted playing time, I think those are the two leading reasons. I think if there were maybe better corner players uh, and and center didn't have to take on so much, you know, maybe then Garcia starts, you know, 75% of the time. This may be a hot take, and I tweeted it out, and obviously there are some people that are that were a little bit upset that I even suggested this. But Daniel Polka is a exciting power bat to come off the bench in late game situations. He hit a home run today in the ninth inning for the White Sox that if they could manage to only allow one run could have possibly been a walk-off home run. Uh, but alas, that didn't happen as the Blue Jays scored five runs in the top of the ninth inning, won today's game or Sunday's game seven to four. This is a crazy idea maybe, but could Daniel Polka help a contending team? Cause with the two days remaining the trade deadline, Jim, you always hear from the trade tea leaves that teams are looking for a left-handed bench bat uh, that can help them in late-game situations. Could Daniel Polka be that guy? No. <laughs> Not, yeah, may, maybe he could, but just I don't think teams would give up anything of meaning for him, and I'd rather have the entertainment of his at-bats All right. available locally. Well, you can't have both, Jim. We can't, no, well, can you have both? Can you have Eloy Jimenez and Daniel Polka on the same 25-man roster? Try to think, uh, yeah, probably. How would you make that work? I think you would need, you know, that's part of the idea of having Leori as the super sub available, but I would like to see, <laughs> ideally, with the seven-man bullpen. So, um, you know, whether that can happen or not, but 
Yeah, I think there's a... Either that or you send them down for a couple weeks, bring them back up in September. But yeah, if they're still with the 8-man, it's a little bit tougher. Yeah, 8-man bullpen. But I do... Uh, I, I wouldn't want to see Paul get down for long if that were the case, um, just because he is fun. Could just move Matt Davidson to the bullpen and still have eight guys. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, that's that's. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the the value of that. And and, and I was happy to see him pitch again. Um, you know, I, I did. You know, we talked about the concerns of it. Just you know whether you know somebody who hasn't pitched regularly can handle anything. You know that that looks like a regular workload for a low leverage reliever. But yeah, if you had Dave, Davidson doing double duty, it's just like that kind of prevents uh, i guess the worst case scenario in which you know um you have to uh you know use up you know say six relievers and such and then you just don't have anybody and 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 you want to call it the eighth man i think you know having davidson is that somebody who pitches you know maybe once every two weeks Hmm. not a terrible idea i think it has merit i think penal's idea has merit yeah i think it would be um Maybe try him again, you know, next month. Yeah, I would say it need to be somewhat regularly. I'd like to see him, uh, you know, get maybe three or four times, just see if he gets roughed up at all, see if the trick's around. Because I remember, you know, a few years ago when Casper Wells had that great outing, and, you know, he had a pitching background too uh, as a college player. Had the, had one great outing, a swing and miss and a changeup, and then his next outing was just terrible. And I'd like to see Davidson have the chance to have one terrible outing just to see what that looks like and see, you know, whether you know, the, uh, I guess whether the book develops on him rather quickly, but, um, yeah, I think for the time being, if you could count on him pitching every two weeks, seems like they could try getting by with seven guys. Do you think Renteria would do what Tampa Bay does? And let's say Jace Fry comes in the ninth inning and he gets the lefty out for the first out. And here comes his righty that Fry would go to first base and Davidson would come to pitch. And then Davidson faced the righty, and if it's a lefty afterwards, then they would flip flop. I don't think so. <laughs> it just uh, it doesn't seem like it's in his DNA, and I think the White Sox front office would you know push something like that. So I'm not guessing that would happen. I kind of like it. I don't know. I give Tampa Bay cre- credit for trying to be it. creative this year. I think it does put some risk because you're putting guys into positions that they never played before. In the major league level, and you hope that they don't hit the ball to them. But I guess if you're flipping between first and the pitcher, if there's a ground ball, they're gonna have to cover first base. But they have some experience, pitchers do, as far as covering first, but not in the typical normal way of a first baseman, I guess. Yeah. Oh well. There's another crazy idea that gets shot down. Uh, so moving from the Blue Jays weekend series again, the White Sox lost two out of three. And now this upcoming week, they have a Tuesday through Thursday series. They are off on Monday against the Kansas City Royals. The Royals are 32 and 73. They're just a half game behind of the Baltimore Orioles for the first pick of the 2019 Major League Baseball draft. They are last place in the American League Central. They're five games back of the Chicago White Sox. Your pitching probables for this series, Tuesday at 7, 10 p.m. Central Time. It'll be Danny Duffy against James Shields. On Wednesday at 7-10, it's Jacob Junis against Dylan Covey. And Thursday, getaway day at 1-10 p.m. Central Time, it is Brad Keller for the Royals against Ronaldo Lopez. Jim, what are you hoping to see out of this three-game series against Kansas City? 
Well, I'd like to see a bounce back for Lopez for one. Um, yeah, he's had a rough go of it lately, so I'd think that'd be top on my list um, just to make the last two months of season more watchable. Otherwise, you know, just kind of, I guess, the, you know, what's been the status quo this season is that the Royals are just there to make the White Sox feel better about themselves. You know, whether it's on an individual level with certain players, you know, having incredible runs against them or just the kind of overall lack of talent. And especially with Moustakis out, you know, now that he's traded, that's going to look quite a bit different. You know, just the middle of their lineup not having him there. So seems like, uh, you know, it should be, uh, you know, as much as, you know, and go back to the Jimenez discussion, you know, fans kind of going back into tank mode and hoping for the first overall pick. I just don't see how that's there with the Royals playing the way they are and with the Orioles being how they are. Um, that first pick seems unattainable. Oh, yeah, there's no chance in hell at this moment. I I, I know you're right. There's going to be a lot of White Sox fans that say that the point of this year is to get the best draft pick as possible. They need to tank and try to get the number one pick. There's just no chance, guys. Not with what Baltimore has shedded of its 25-man roster and what the Royals have done. These guys are going to far outpace the losing than the White Sox will be. Yeah, and I, I like looking at the standings just to see, you know, check what the Royals did recently. And yeah, Cleveland winning and the other four teams losing sounds about right. Hey, Kansas City played the Yankees tough this yeah. weekend. I give Kansas City credit. They've been playing their opponents tough after the All-Star break. But I think August is going to be brutal for the Royals and for the Orioles uh, moving forward, not that the White Sox are going to be much better, but I, it's just too many games for the White Sox to catch up to Baltimore and Kansas City. The White Sox would have to go like on a four-win month to catch them. Yeah, and I, I can see the White Sox having a tough August, too, as these bullpen issues get hopefully straightened out, or maybe they just go unresolved through the end of the season. But we've seen that before when uh, the White Sox you know, empty out their bullpen with trades, and all of a sudden it just really... Uh, you know, difficult to keep teams from scoring seven, eight, nine runs against them. Uh, you know, that could be the kind of case where they do have a an eight win month, but it's kind of an entertaining eight win win month versus the you know April and May of this season. So, uh, I can see that being the case where the White Sox do kind of keep even with the Royals, but yeah, the Royals are just, they're in the same situation where they're just under talented night after night. Well, if you do care about winning baseball, let's talk about some winning baseball teams. Coming up next, it's the Minor League Report. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. All right, minor league report time. Let's start in Charlotte, which underwent a lot of roster shuffle over the last week. Sebi Zavala is off the disabled list, and Ryan Cordell has completed his rehab stint. Ryan Bird joins his partner in historical jokes Ian Hamilton in the Knights' bullpen, and Jacob May was released in order to make some room. Through it all, Eloy Jimenez continues to rake. He's now hitting 383 with an 11-13 OPS after a nine-game hitting streak that he carried through a massive weekend in Pawtucket. Moreover, he's gone three straight games without a strikeout and has just 10 over 25 games. AAA pitching just doesn't phase him. 
The same can be said for Michael Kopech with International League hitters, now that he's throwing strikes again. He's had three strong outings in a row, issuing a total of two walks over 17 innings while striking out 24. In Birmingham, Joel Booker got off to the incredible start, and Luis Basabe had a starring role in the Futures game. Now Alex Call is the one making his presence felt. The third-round pick in the 2016 draft went 10-for-18 with two homers and five doubles over a five-game stretch entering Sunday, raising his average to 306 and his OPS to nearly 900. So far, he hasn't seen any of the usual power drop-off hitting prospects usually have going from Winston-Salem to Birmingham, which is important since nothing about his profile jumps out. On the other side, Alec Hansen is still a mess. He issued a whopping seven walks over one and one-third innings against Mississippi in his latest disaster on Sunday, which followed an outing where he walked nine batters over four innings. His ERA is 6.56, and it could easily be worse. I'm not sure what the endgame is here. In Winston-Salem, I wonder whether Luis Gonzalez can tell any difference between levels of A-ball. He had an 850 OPS at Kannapolis, and he has an 850 OPS with a dash, with his on-base and slugging percentages within a couple points of each other. The same can be said for Tyler Johnson, who is striking out 30% of batters faced at Winston-Salem after posting a 42% strikeout rate with the Intimidators. It took Lincoln Hensman a little longer to transfer his success, partially because the Sox moved him to the bullpen to ease up on what was already a career-high workload. He's thrown three scoreless, walkless innings in each of his last two times out. As for the full-season dash, Blake Rutherford and Gavin Sheets are doing what they're doing, for better or for worse. In Kannapolis, Nick Madrigal still hasn't struck out yet in his pro career, which is now 15 games old. He's hitting 389 with three doubles and a walk over his first 10 games in Kannapolis. He also has three sack flies, which makes his OBP just one point higher than his batting average, 390 to 389. And speaking of guys who haven't walked much, Carlos Perez is carrying his hot July all the way to the finish. He's hitting 426 with a 435 OBP and 559 slugging this month. He'll need to follow it up with a strong August to put himself more on the map, but his contact-heavy profile behind the plate has always been a mildly intriguing one. The Great Falls Voyagers received third-round pick Connor Pilkington, and he allowed a run on a hit and a walk over two innings in his Pioneer League debut on Sunday. He joined second-rounder Steele Walker and fifth-round pick Jonathan Stever from the first two days of the draft on the Voyagers roster. And while on the subject of catchers, I'm keeping an eye on Joandro Alfaro, who has now homered in three of his past seven starts while sharing time with the wonderfully named Gunnar Troutwine. Alfaro is a 20-year-old Colombian who signed for $750,000 back in 2014. In the Arizona Rookie League, Bryce Bush has been tearing it up. It was surprising that the White Sox signed him at all, given that they drafted him in the 33rd round and he had a commitment to Mississippi State. But he signed for $290,000, roughly 6th, 7th round money, and he's gotten off to a torrid start, hitting 432 with a 500 OBP and one of the team's 5 homers. And don't look now, but the Dominican Summer League White Sox have won 4 of their last 7 games. For a team that's 9-39, that's a hot streak. That's it for the Meyer League Report. Now let's answer your questions in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by tweeting them to us at Sox Machine, posting them on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Machine or also helping support the show and the website by signing up to become a friend of the podcast at patreon.com slash socks machine. And Jim, we have some really good questions this week. 
for P.O. Socks. And we start with the first one from one of our Patreon supporters, Mark Hope. Mark, thank you for your support. And Mark is asking, how have the long-term expectations for Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez changed since the start of the season? Well, you know, their stock is definitely lower when it comes to, you know, as I've said this time and time again on the podcast, when it comes to guys in their first full seasons, you know, I tend to wait till September to judge, but um, it's going to be, they're going to need to step up over the next two months in order to feel great about them with Lopez. Um, you know, the changeups really taking a step back. Sometimes it seems like it's fastball only. And uh, when he doesn't have his peak velocity, he's quite hittable. Uh, Giolito is kind of the confusing one where I have less of a firm idea. Like his last start against, uh, um, uh, Toronto on, on Saturday, it was a kind of a baffling outing because the changeup was good. He got 17 swinging strikes. A lot of them on the changeup. It seemed like he had the, um, you know, the lower part of the zone when he got the calls, you know, it seemed like that was working for him. And yet he kept kind of attacking with high fastballs and at 93, even when they weren't, terribly located like you know they could have maybe been inside more or up more but i mean when they're theoretically in the you know a decent enough spot they're you know the blue jays were still getting good wood on it and either muscling it to the outfield or lining it to the outfield and it seemed like not a great game plan and giolito said such after the game that he wasn't pitching smart and you know that might be partially kevin smith's responsibility to call a better game and understand what's working for him because he kept going with those 93 mile per hour fastballs and they weren't getting the job done so it seems like, you know, the frustrating thing with him is that it seems to be like he's a different pitcher start to start where sometimes the fastball is really lively and he's got that really good action on his two-seamer and other times it seems like uh, he has to pitch backwards to succeed. And uh, I think the next two months for him are figuring out what kind of pitcher he really is. And, and uh, you know, Lopez, I think for him, it'll be kind of trying to ward off what ultimately would be like a move to the bullpen. So, uh I still have faith in them. And I think this is partially, you know, this is the reason why I wait six months because I think there are, uh, you know, whether it's the league figuring them out, whether it's, you know, hitting the dog days of summer and, 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 you know, running into physical issues, you know, kind of endurance things. And I think Lopez, you know, he, he dismissed the idea that it was fatigue and then he said it was focus. And then uh, somebody asked him if, you know, why he can't focus and he didn't have an answer for that. And I think that's partially, you know, I think focus can sap too from fatigue. It's like, yeah, the, the way I liken it to is like playing golf and you're, you're on a hot day and you're on the 16th hole. It's a lot harder to remember everything you have to do during a swing or, you know, and you're just everything breaks down because just everything's more difficult, including concentrating. So, you know, that could be the case where he's not focusing well, but that's just because there are too many things dragging down his resources. So, uh, yeah, there'll be, there'll be, I guess there'll be, interesting to watch in the big picture sense it might not be a whole lot of uh you know interesting things to see while you're watching them pitch but it is funny how much perceptions have changed of this trade in one year last september with lopez and giolito having success and dunning doing everything he could in the minors it looked like a steal and now you have you know giolito and lopez not quite looking like rotation answers yet and dunning injured and now all of a sudden uh you're not quite sure who the fixture is going to be so that's why I'm holding off until September just to see, you know, if this is just they're hitting a wall um, in their first full seasons and they can get over it or whether the, this is the league telling them you need to have something else for us or we're just going to hit you hard. Yeah, as far as the trade on who's winning that deal, I don't know. I mean, Adam Eaton still, he only has 154 at-bats this year. I mean, he's still dealing with injuries. 
Because I know that that's a common theme, right? I mean, Adamine's only played 45 games this year. Yeah. I, I do think it's it's premature to say that the White Sox totally won that deal against the Washington Nationals. But I guess the Nationals are not getting much out of that deal at the moment. Neither team's getting much right now out of that deal. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Uh, hopefully that changes in the White Sox favor. I, I'm hoping this is the dog days and that these guys can make some adjustments because they have shown brilliance at times. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I am I'm in the boat of concern right now uh, for both of them for the rest of the year. But expecting them to make some adjustments into spring training, or that could just be my my heart broken with Alec Hansen and the way that things have been going lately for him. Uh, man, yeah. not good, not good. Well, Mark, it's a terrific question and definitely something to keep an eye on for the rest of August and, as Jim mentioned, into September to see where Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez are. The good news is that. There's not like not a lot of team expectations, obviously, when you're 30 plus games below 500. Uh, but going to 2019 and beyond, obviously, both pitchers do need to make some adjustments to be better starting pitchers moving forward. Our next two questions from Twitter. First is from Russell the K9, and uh, I, I tweeted, "Is Omar Nevaez good after he hit his home run on Sunday?" And Russell's asking you, Jim, is Nevaez building up any future trade value? Well, it's not a it's not a ridiculous question to ask when you have a catcher whose OPS is nearing 800. Um, <laughs> Where did this come from? Yeah, he's he's muscling the ball, and I mean, like the the yeah the the plate appearances are getting stronger. He seems to have a good working relationship with Carlos Rodon. Um, sometimes it seems like he costs him strikes, but for whatever reason, that seems to be the preferred pairing uh, when when uh, you know things line up well enough. Because Narvaez started against the lefty, uh, and I think that was just because of their um, you know, working relationship with Rodon and he did get a strike him out, throw him out. So yeah, it's something Kevin Smith can't really do. But uh, when it comes to Narvaez, I don't think he has a, a lot of present trade value just because this is a new development and he he's not a, a strong receiver. And I think teams right now, when they're adding catchers for say a pennant push are looking for guys who won't disrupt um, pitching staffs. And given that he doesn't have a great reputation as a game caller or a framer or anything like that. He's got an okay arm, but you know, the, the rest of his tools defensively are lagging behind. I don't see him being added to a team at this point. And, you know, so I, I think as a trade piece, he might be somebody for um, maybe over the winter, you know, that'd be that kind of deal where a team is looking for a catcher for a few years and the White Sox, maybe they have Wellington Castillo coming back. Maybe they're like, one of Sebi Zavala or Zach Collins, and they think, well, Nervais isn't our long-term plans. Let's see what we can do for him. Yeah, I could see that maybe being the case, but on the other hand, he's under team control through 2022. And should this keep up? Should he be, you know, not maybe not a 800 OPS guy, but maybe if he's showing more pop and he is an above-average catcher, and even if you, um, you know, include his poor defensive numbers with his above-average production, he kind of washes out to be average or something like that. Um, you know, that has value for this team, especially if you don't have to rush up a Zach Collins or a Zevi Zavala when they're not, um, you know, great defensive products themselves. So uh, it seems like, you know, for the White Sox, he might have more value to them than another team, uh, especially if, you know, say they have hope that with Jimenez and with Kopech and with you know, the guys coming up that they can have a an Oakland like, well, we're decent earlier than expected, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, they might be thinking about adding rather than selling. So 
it seems like uh, you know Narvaez might be you know if he keeps hitting and I think uh, it, it's something to watch over the last two months just where the leveling off will occur and what he looks like after that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed by him recently, and uh, you know, given you know, you've you've written about it, their OBP problems, you can't really be cavalier with a guy who has good at bats. You can. I mean, his on base percentage is now 3.46 after where he struggled in. Last year in 90 games, his on-base percentage was 373. The White Sox cannot give up on guys like this. It's just, it's funny on how the topic when it comes to Omar Neves has changed in our conversations, Jim, from a month ago. We were like, oh gosh, Omar, what's happened with you, man? You can't play defense. You're not calling good games. You're not framing. You're not hitting. You're not doing anything well. Why is he on the 25-man roster to... Damn, Omar Nevaez is the best hitter on this White Sox roster right yeah. now. No, it's a credit to him. It is. It's a big credit. He's he's obviously made those adjustments. And yeah, the pairing with Carlos Rodon, I was really worried a month ago. I'm like, this isn't working. This is not helping Carlos Rodon. Uh, the last three starts for Rodon have been absolutely terrific. And even though he's still struggling framing pitches and he costs Rodon strikes. Uh, you can't argue the success that Carlos Rodon has had in his last three starts. And you got to give credit for Omar Neves working with Rodon on that and still being very productive offensively. It, it It is striking, Jim. He's only 26 years old. And as you mentioned, the White Sox have control of for him uh, until 2022. Maybe it's too early to dismiss the idea that Omar Neves uh, maybe the one sticking around and maybe Zach Collins and Sebi Zavala have to find their way to get some playing time. Uh, as I thought at this moment, we'd be talking a lot more about Kevin Smith, but that's really not the case. Omar Neves has been playing very well. Our next question, and this one is a doozy, and I'm so happy for the Section 108 guys. Uh, if you do not know, Daniel Polka it really enjoys the hashtag 108ing. And I have a shirt. You can purchase a shirt now, hashtag 108ing. And the whole concept is is that if you are at a baseball game or listening to a baseball game or watching a baseball game and having a drink, you are hashtag 108ing. And this past weekend, the 108 guys got a chance to meet Daniel Polka. They gave Daniel Polka shirts. Polka showed that off on social media. And Beefloaf from 108 is asking us, Jim, Mr. Polka is the most 108 player on the roster and now proudly dons our T-shirts. What player on the roster is more Sox machine than the others, a.k.a. which player would you like to wear a Sox machine T-shirt to represent your blog? I struggled with this one because they're Aloy Jimenez. Yes, I, I, as much as I would like to say, you know, give the best player, give the most fun player, yes, uh, staple socks machine. You know, the the pairing between Polka and 108 is just like that's that's a beautiful, appropriate uh, uh, match. You know, just like that's I don't I don't know if socks machine has that. I was thinking about it, like when I was at Socks Fest, Dylan Cease is kind of like yeah, I I liked his vibe. Um, you know, listening to answer questions using no more words than were necessary has a sneaky sense of humor. Um, I, I enjoyed, but you know, he's on the roster yet. So, and it was kind of funny. I was, I was looking at, yeah, you know, just kind of scrolling through teams and scrolling through social media feeds and such and trying to, you know, think about this question a bit. And then I saw the story about, um, Sean Newcomb getting Josh hatered. 
like, I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's and not I was like, good. yeah, and and you know, having very awful tweets in the past, and I think Trey Turner had that too. And uh, I was kind of scrolling through Cease's thing to see if that kind of match up with my impression of him, and then realizing like I don't want to scroll too far back. I don't want everybody to get milkshake ducked. Uh, <laughs> You know, you know, from uh, tweets from seven years ago. So I'm going to stop this. And then I realized like, I'm really overthinking this. And then that made me think that the most Sox machine player is Lucas Giolito. Oh, okay. Yeah. Genial guy. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, gives things a lot of thought, but maybe overthink stuff too much. <laughs> I love it. That's a, that's a great, that's a great choice. That's a, that's a good choice. I think if you are a little bit taller I mean, you're pretty tall, but if you were like Lucas Giolito, six foot eight tall, he could be your doppelganger, Jim. Yeah, he's got a better head of hair than I do, but yeah, he's he's definitely I, I you know I'm I'm six and I first time I met him he's he's like you said six eight I think he's listed six six but he's one of those guys that does seem larger than his listed height. Yeah, it's not a perfect doppelganger like Eric Johnson and and P. Knowles. Okay, but it it's pretty close. I, I like it. I like it. I could I could definitely see that. I can definitely see that. That's that's a good choice. I would still vote for Aloy Jimenez. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would think like yeah, quality, uh, standing the test of time. I'm hoping that eventually that would be the case. But I think for time being, um, our uncertainty about the rebuild. <laughs> I think uh, right now I think we're better matched up with a pitcher who is very uncertain himself. <laughs> yes, uh, for prospects, I would nominate Sebi Zavala. We've been on the Sebi Savala train for a while. Alex Call, he's been doing much better in Birmingham. But I do like the Dylan C. Dylan C. So obviously he had that terrific start where he retired the first 20 batters. He's big into watching YouTube videos about yoga. Yeah, he has some side interests, which is kind of like, you know, and, and we're getting near, I think, basket season with the White Sox, you know, their favorite things, which I always find illuminating about, uh, yeah, certain guys. I think my favorite was Alex Rios having uh, the Fountainhead, a copy of an Anne Rand book in his uh, in his basket. <laughs> which you know, he's but he was big into architecture, which I think is you know part of it. And I, I like yes. I like guys. Yeah, you know, like when it comes to players, I'm interested in players who have interests. Yeah, that aren't hunting, I guess, because I can't relate to that. So or Fortnite. Yeah, which I can relate to, but. Yeah, it seems to be the the big thing. But no, Lucas Giolito, that's a great one. That's a great one. We just got to make a shirt now. Yeah. <laughs> Shirts for the introverts. <laughs> Shirts for the introverts. <laughs> Beef Loaf, that is a terrific question, terrific topic. If you guys have other suggestions on players that are most like Sox Machine, uh, definitely want to read about those in the comments section, or you can tweet them at us, at Sox Machine. And that will do it for P.O. Sox questions. Thank you guys so much for submitting your questions this week. If you have a future question or topic that you would like us to tackle on a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine. And also you can help support the show where you get additional P.O. Sox questions answered in every single episode. You also get an opportunity to ask questions for our guests that come onto the show and only those questions are answered on a special edition Patreon 
edition of the podcast each and every single week. And if you're interested in getting additional content, you can sign up at patreon.com slash socks machine to help support socksmachine.com and the socks machine podcast. And that will do it for this edition of the socks machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the show, you could subscribe via iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Socks Machine. And the Socks Machine podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.